say under there uh i did so listen underwear (laughs) listen i know that it's like the job of a bartender to like smile at you and hand you a beer oh yeah and i know that i've had this interaction probably a million times but i don't think any other guy that's alive on this planet sorry i'm just gonna pee real quick that's fine you can you can go piss in the corner i don't i don't think any other guy thinks that oh this bartender slash barista is flirting with me oh absolutely i have those thoughts but no no other guy has that for sure for sure no other guy has those thoughts so this so i'm not allowed to tell you that i've dated like three bartenders you can't you can't because i'm the only guy who realizes hey literally my last girlfriend was a bartender out here okay all right that maybe when people that are are paid in tips smile at you you should take it as a personal. It's just for you. It's for me. It's like a little. It's like a little. Present. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back. I'll <laughs> see ya. Later. I gotta go. Um, Destiny awaits. Make sure. Uh, make sure that she knows that you know. That it's just for you. Right. You gotta. You gotta make that transparent. Well, she. Okay. So what was weird was I was at the bar. <laughs> And and she was like she served me my beer and then this, this and you couple, leaned in for a kiss I leaned, for, she, I leaned in for a kiss and she took the tip and said no thank you and she said no thank you but here's the weird thing there was a couple that sat uh, a couple seats down for me mm-hmm. she came over to them and she threw this fucking pizza in the guy's face and she said what the fuck do you guys want what the fuck do you guys want and then she came so that's the spectrum she came back you over now to me understand and then she said she called you sweetie and then she called me sweetie and hun and hun hun. And she smiled and she at me. touched your hand for like just a second. And just too a long. second. Yeah. And then she wrote a number on the receipt, but it was like five, five, five. But it was five, your five, total. Five, five. <laughs> <laughs> it was your total for the, the check. It was the total. It was thirty-seven dollars because you drank and then, nine beers. And then <laughs> in the ten minutes you were there. <laughs> and then I tipped one hundred and fifty percent. I feel like that's, I feel like that's too much. It um it it is. Damn. And you should have gotten a number other than five 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 five. Oh shit. She saw that it's it's hundred and fifty and she wrote five 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 five. This creep is not gonna leave without my phone number. And that that's pretty funny. I, I read an article earlier today where there's this new show out on Netflix. Um it's a manga adaptation called The Squid Game. Watched it. Um did you? Like the first episode. The the the, the stop and go one? Yeah. 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 So so that one's really popular, but do you do you remember that phone number that they flashed in the one in the one segment? I don't think so. <laughs> so apparently this guy in Japan just keeps getting calls. Oh no. He's got like over 400 unwarranted calls because this oh. company just put a number out there thinking it was just some random oh, and, and no. it turned out to be like a guy and he's like stop calling. Um I would have been surprised if she gave you Squid Game guys number. You got to do the 555s, five, five man. Everyone knows that. Mm. It's all about the 555s. Five, five, Everyone knows that that's not real and you're immediately disappointed. Yeah, it's true. I'm going to level with you. The 
the service industry in general, like the customer service industry, like forward facing, um, is fucking treacherous. That is a treacherous fucking slope. I've never worked in food, but I have absolutely flirted with waiters, waitresses, you know, uh, just fucking like anyone who's bringing me something like, not just because I like to be nice to those people. Cause I understand their jobs are probably a lot harder than mine, right? but you know, I, I, I like to be a nice patron, but I also like to, to reciprocate. And I swear there are just so many times where like, you know, you're making them just a little bit too much eye contact. They're smiling just like a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. They're bringing you your things like really appropriate timed. And they're just saying, you know, they're not just stopping to have conversation, but they're also doing their job. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's hard to fight that connection because then you then you're tempted to be like, do I leave my number? Do I not leave my number? What do I say in this situation? Sure. And I will tell you 50 percent of the time it, it works. In yeah, my experience, that's that's fair. The the literally the last girlfriend I had before my current one, um, I was literally at a bar with a friend, and the bartender was just near us the entire time. Right. Mostly because we're talking like you and I are now, just very loud, very just open. Right. You know, anyone who wants to join in is is welcome to just like walk in and just be like, "What the what the fuck?" What do you guys and. I just remember we were talking, we were talking about something stupid. Like we had to have been talking about like horror movies or something like Jason or Freddy or something. And she just walks up and she's just like, oh yeah, like I have a tattoo of Freddy. And I'm like, can you like wear like on your ass? And I was she waiting. like laughed and so, she was like, and she like literally pulled up her skirt. Yeah. Like I saw the panty line yeah. and I saw that she had literally Freddy like with the glove hand, like tearing through on her thigh. Right. And I was like, that's not something that like a regular bartender would just go around showing anyone. That's fair. And that's, that's a softball. Cause I think she was very interested in, and made it known. I was waiting for her to like, ask me a question about like, you know how like I make like $40 million a year or whatever. You were very uh, charitable. Yeah. I was asking you her give to, 42 million away every year. I, yeah. So I actually, which losing is more, money every, <laughs> every year. More and than it's what a you really make. big problem. Um, I was asking, I was waiting for her to ask me like, a question like hey like what's you know a handsome a handsome boy but then i just uh i didn't and then i just i realized that i was really attracted to her because she was really pretty and i was like what the fuck are you doing like get a hold of yourself there are going to be pretty people that you come in contact with every single day and then yeah and that was it so i'm over but it, it shouldn't stop you <laughs> i'm glad that we talked about it for five minutes and you're just I, completely I, over it but like, i i am completely what i'm over trying it. to say is don't don't worry about shooting your shot I, I should have wrote it on the receipt like I want, I want your mm. face on my face. I want to be on you. I want to be on you. I want to be. I want you to be in me. Question mark. <laughs> Sit on my face. Yeah, but <laughs> but put put it inside of my face. Put your butt on me. Put <laughs> <laughs> anywhere. Put your whole ass on me. But yeah. then I didn't have a pen, because I do cash. So, mm. you know, ask for one, and then like you know, lightly touch her hand as she passes. Hey, can I get a pen? I'm paying cash. I'm going to obviously not write my note. Oh, fuck. Okay. Well, oh, bye. Thank you. It's very easy to just be like, hey, got a pen and not be totally fucking awkward about it. And then I took off my shirt. I took off my shirt and she said, no, sir. I showed her my butt and said, do you want my butt on you? Do you want this? Let me tell you now that you're over it. 
Here's how I wanted to start the episode. Oh, God. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> because because uh, you very quickly take the reins. It's what little control you have that mm-hmm. I allow you. Um, are the are the handcuffs okay? Mm-hmm. Are they on tight enough? Yeah, they are. Okay. They are. How about the chains? Are the chains too much? Chains are good. The, the chastity belt feels unnecessary. It really does. It feels you're like right. a step you're right. too it's far. Overkill. It's overkill, right? Yeah. Right. We should get that yeah. off at the end of the also, episode. Also, it's a little at the tight. End of the episode. I wear a small. This feels like an extra small. It's a little tight. So what I, what I was going to say was... My little um, leaner. We, it's crushing my neener. We were... T- I'm so sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. But my, my <laughs> neener is being crushed right now. My little leaner. You know, you know what Strawberry Shortcake called his dildo last night? Uh, that was a sentence I was not prepared for. What? My dilders. <laughs> he goes, my dilders. Great. Anyone want to purvey my dilders? And at first, I'm like, I'm sitting next to this man. Yeah. And I hear him say it. I look at him. I look away. And then I look back again. <laughs> what? <laughs> my dilders. What are you buying? So uh, here's here's how I wanted to start the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a dovetail off of our first conversation. Ooh. That experience you had, sure, much in line with the story we're reading. I just want to say, what a thrill! I was hoping you'd take over. I don't know the fucking words. I just, mm. <laughs> I just not a. You just know the "you're so supreme" part, and then you just go right. But in. you're so <laughs> supreme. <laughs> I give my life not, not for honor, but for sins. So we are here. Uh, this is Lots of Pasta, part four of The Sin Eater. The Sin Eater. And we, it has been a fucking journey, my dude. And like, it hasn't been like a journey like Baraska like, was taking a part of us the entire time. Right. Uh, but it's been a journey that, like, you know, we're we're walking along, we're singing a song, and it's been. I've know, been more into it every episode. A little bit more. It into gets it gets a step up every yeah. time. Yeah. And we'll we'll start back at the beginning real quick, just as a quick recap the sins mm-hmm. we've encountered thus far. Astronaut crash lands on a planet. Mm-hmm. Planet is dogs. Dogs? Question mark. And that's kind of how far we've gotten. We've gotten two sentences. Ground in. is dogs. Sky is dogs. Everything dog. I tried to write in his diary, but the diary is dog. Dog. Pen is dog. Pen is definitely. Oh, dog. I am dog. Oh no, I, I am rough, rough. One with rough, dog. rough, rough. And that was the whole story. We we had a big, big fat southern mama who apparently was uh, lust, and she was lusting after people's bodies so that she could entice and eat them. Really gluttony. Which is fun. Mm-hmm. That's definitely gluttony, but we get to gluttony later. Yep. Uh, part two. Was some greed. There were some, which is definitely envy. Um, right. Part two was greed. We had some uh, conjoined twins that wanted to get what other people's body parts had that they did not, so they can put it on their own. They got torn in half. Mostly uh, big old, big old mama dilders. Mama June got uh, consumed by her own honeyed uh, demon. That's right. Um, and uh, number three was, uh, shit. 
which one was number three? The Cockney dude? Roderick Gaylord. I think it was. The Cockney was, dude. Yeah. He was Envy. Yeah. And he was really, um, really a, lust. an online like incel. He was absolutely lust. Um, and he was going after people online. And he ended up being uh, melted with acid to death. <gasps> and then we got to Sloth, um, which... It's pretty much Sloth. <laughs> It is on it is on term with sloth, especially like how she was laying around the entire time and yeah. being super lazy. Like, but there's an element of pride there. There is pride, right? There's definitely right. an element the of pride, pride there. Yeah. yeah, because she was the one who led us to where we're at now. Yeah, you're right. That's, um, that's what it was. Big old plot point, but she was um, torn apart piece by piece and thrown into the portal to the underworld, which is, um, I guess, if you lay around your entire life, that's what you have to look forward to. So good luck. Um, and then it. in the last part, which is part three. We conquered uh, Gluttony and Wrath. And Gluttony was a big old uh, Northern English guy who uh, was fighting people, and if he won, he ate them. Yeah. And um, he was fueled by the hunger for human flesh that he almost, like, by the end of it, he embodied his sin. He embodied his own demon. And he took on, like, a gold pallor and... It's only because of his sin that he ended up dying, because the crow ended up eating its way out of his stomach, which falls in line with the god that he was um, obeying, which had a mouth on its stomach. So there's kind of, you know, a parallel there. Ah. Um, wrath is where I was let down a little bit, because the wrath came from Nelly. Right. The sin came from Nelly. Right. The tulpa never fully manifested. This This pedophile was telling his story about how he, like... Um, he was being very nice. He was being very cloistered. And Nell just saw right through it. And she, she killed him. She, I think she, like, fucking American History X, like, just told him to fight the curb. Yeah. And she exhibited wrath in her taking him out. Because he, like, all of them have died thus far to yeah. their own sins. Right. But, like, she took part of that one. You know, um, whereas she only kind of partially took part of gluttonies, like mm -hmm. she she told the crow to eat the guy. Um, and it's only after the guy was eaten that she like cut open his stomach and like let the crow eat his entrails and shit. Right. But like he was already dying. This guy is just sitting down at a table with a ton of nice food and she gets so angry that she just fucking kills him. Right. I found that incredibly interesting because I feel like that might come back. Um, the episode ended very abruptly with us finding out that the last sin, sin number seven, is her mom. <gasps> her mom has been here the entire time. She's prisoner 001, where that, that void of darkness is emanating yeah. from the center of this facility. Um, I don't, so this, we know, we know from process of elimination that the sin is pride. We also know that the mother was a cult leader, which falls in line with the idea of pride. Um, but we also know that the cult was about killing yourself, um, which doesn't seem very prideful at all. Because the, the other girl, Sloth, talked about how she like watched all of these people drink the Kool-Aid. Some were scared, some weren't, and then they all just died all the same. Right. So, and they come from the same cult. Yeah. So, 
I, I don't know. My expectations are obviously very high because you and I agree what a thrill this series has been working our way up with, with this Sin Eater. I don't get the reference. And um, we, <laughs> we're, we're finally here on the last part. And I think last it rung can, of the ladder. I think it could go a bunch of different ways. And I, I want to I wanna ask you, are you still on the fuck Nell, she's a demon, she's a sin bandwagon? <laughs> I, am, I am trying to kind of uh, ration out my suspicion a little bit. Because I think that we've seen... Well, if you had any give, it was last episode. Yeah. I think we've seen some of these plot points be resolved, and some of them are still up in the air, and it's uh, uh, an open kind of... Oh, I'm chafing. It's an open kind of question if they're going to be resolved. And so I think that, you know, like any good patriot, I uh, I just... I, I'm kind of in the story for the story's sake, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know... Diazepam, uh, SVD, um, orangutans, orangutans, breakfast cereal. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm with it. Yeah. I feel you. And, and for the most part, like this has been my favorite thing to read this season and I've read a lot of fun shit. Yeah. Um, I think we read, we read novels, we read, uh, online stories and even stuff that could go in a magazine. We've, we've read cookbooks. Yeah. We've read pamphlets about the most famous Jewish athletes. Right. We, you know, the list goes on and on. Mark's Out bits. of everything we've read... Um, it's just Mark Spitz. We've... I, I don't know if something has ever been this, like, narratively strong. Like, this feels like it could be a good book. And I don't... I don't know if I've read anything that has me, like, filled with so much hope before. Yeah. Um, because all of the big hitters in my mind do kind of ruminate around the idea of where they come from. Some of the best things I've read, I have to relocate in my mind to Creepypasta as a atmosphere, you know, as a source. Um, no sleep. Like, if I were to say, like, my favorite no sleeps of all time, it's like, uh, left, right game, odd kids, pen pal, you know, like... Hush puppy. But all of those things are products of no sleep. This doesn't, even though this is from no sleep, this honestly does not feel like a product of no sleep to me. Yeah. To me, this doesn't. Um, Rock and launcher. Yeah. Uh, I, I <laughs> you just keep throwing out words. I don't know where to go anymore. Uh, we, we're going to jump into this because, uh, I'm too excited. I literally, like, I've been waiting like all week to, to fucking read this. Oh yeah. Um, because I already told you, I love listening to these. I, every episode when I'm done editing it, like I listen to it again as it has the backing track on it. Like I've listened to it with just like a finer bit of detail because it's one of my favorite things that we've read so far. And that's, that's always really great to, to, you know. Break break a new level on your own show, you know. Keep keep the 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 shit coming, you know. Never never tell you that you've met the top because keep then you'll hold yourself back. Shoveling shit. <laughs> keep shoveling the shit. 
And then they're going to fire somebody because they can't afford to pay for shit shovelers. And they're going to say, do you want to take his shit shoveling job? And you say, yes. And you don't ask for more pay. Keep shoveling the shit. Do you want to hit this? No, I'm good. Thank you, Ben. I figured I'd get you, like, as twisted as I could because I'm, you're already, like, I would, next I would level. Be, I would be fucked. That's great. Uh, pride runs in the family. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's already well known. Yeah. Like, Nell as a character has always been very look at me I'm doing this you can't touch this you know yeah do you want to start this shit? it's up to you Everyone can you've do. started each of them go okay. for it my name is Madam Nell Lockwood I'm the last Sin Eater if you want to know more about me you can find that here at this hyperlink <laughs> www dot https colon slash slash l-a-s-t-s-i-n-e-a-t-e-r i've just eviscerated the most vile man who represented wrath now i am tasked with the final sin and the significance of that person is not lost on me i don't know if the last guy was very vile at all he was kind of banal and rather boring i think his crimes were vile i don't think his what they say he did? He he raped and killed like twenty seven kids. That's Isn't that's that pretty bad. That's yeah. pretty bad in terms of the bad scale. That's a nine out of ten. I don't. Maybe he just raped him. I don't know. Maybe I gotta re-listen to that. That doesn't change the. It's my it's own. It's my mother. own mother. <laughs> how how is this? I don't. I don't. I couldn't find the words as my mind struggled to comprehend what I was seeing. The sounds of Buck and Nestor calling after me faded to nothing as I fainted. Exhaustion and anxiety crippling my ability to function. I just want to quickly interrupt and say that Django is uh, doing some like slam poetry type pantomiming. It's a visual that's not carrying over. But if you hear shifting, it's because he is performing. This time, when dreams took hold, I saw a series of rooms, some of them small and familiar, others big, foreboding, alien to me. But I occupied them all, sometimes on my own, and other times with friends, lovers, family. Family. In every single instance, that specter was right behind me. Sometimes, Vin Diesel. <laughs> sometimes looming overhead as bad news was handed down perching in the corners of the room to observe me carefully as I did something innocuous. No matter where I went in these various rooms of my life, it was always close by as if attached Is she to talking me. about her little monster boy? She's No, she's talking about the clown. She's talking about the little... Oh, it. It. Pennywise. Even as the scene shifted to this prison, it occupied the same space as we did. Standing in the corner during Lust's interrogation, off to the side for greed, directly overhead for envy, under the table for sloth, holding onto me for gluttony, and ex inexplicably cowering behind a table for wrath. As my mind directed to the green room where my body now lay, in an almost lucid dreaming type of moment, I watched as this abomination crawled over my sleeping frame and held a single digit up to my face before cracking its head up at me and rushing towards me, the smile ever present on its decaying face, one. I mean, that's He's the loneliest number that you'll ever do. I didn't snap awake as before. I'd come to expect the terrors my sleeping world brought. Instead, I breathed deep and looked around. 
as I saw Edgar had nestled himself in my hair, sleeping softly. Comfy, Mama. Safe. He softly chirped, flattering me as I smiled and looked over at Nestor, reading a book and rolling his eyes. Don't be expecting marriage now, Miss Lockwood. You'd already been spoken for. Wouldn't be appropriate. Shot a sly grin my way and noted the clock. You've been out for a while. Bach is just getting changed, and we'll head up on as soon as you're ready. Have you heard from Warden Lichenberg? He's usually around when I wake up. I'd like to have a word with him about these tests. I tried not to grit my teeth as I reciprocated his smile. Do these words involve fists and or feet hurtling towards his body? Nestor asked, feigning concern as he shut his book and went over to the fridge to fetch me some food. I gently got up and scooped Edgar in my hands. Perhaps, but a lady doesn't kick and tell. I slyly replied. Nestor put a gun in his mouth. I'm done with this. I'm done with this line. Breaking into That's a laugh. The end. That's the line. He crossed it. Trying to force the job to the back of my mind. Well, no. He was dealing with the fallout of Cyril Monk's breakout and some other issues. Since it's prisoner number 001, there's a lot of other logistical things he's gotta he says he's gotta do but he did tell me that he'd meet us there at the cell Nestor shut the fridge and handed me some sandwiches and a glass of orange juice now eat up we've got way better food on the plane mind if I ask you something Nestor I bit into the cheese and ham sandwiches with joy my stomach grateful for a proper meal he nodded and gestured for me to continue what are you fucking looking at? <laughs> no, what's it like working for Lady Death? He paused and thought for a moment, finding the right way to say something about someone who, I can only assume, was always listening in. No day is the same. No night is dull. She has a saying that I've tried to take with me into life, especially on... Difficult jobs that I know will entail a lot of pain, struggle, and heartache. <clears throat> it takes courage to accept one's fate. Bravery to step beyond the threshold and sincerity to see it for what it is. Death can be as foreboding or as forgiving as you make it. It is a journey we must all undertake. And though we walk it on our own, it does not need to be without loving company at the end. I walk this lonely road, lonely road that I live knew. I let him finish the Green Day song. <laughs> Cheesy, but I like it. It's certainly a mile Green to Day. live by. Green Day. <laughs> Cheesy, but I like it. Edgar began to wake up, and upon seeing my food, gently preened me until I gave him some. He was being that adorable that it was hard to resist. We had some trouble with our own terrorist group a while ago, called themselves the Mortal Coil, and attached to the bodies of the recently deceased. Said that death itself was a crime against humanity and needed to be stopped. What we dealt with them, when we dealt with them, it meant dealing with uncomfortable conversations about life, death, and everything in between. At the end of it all, it made me realize something. 
He smiled, lips trembling as the door opened and Buck walked in, buttoning his shirt and still fumbling with his bionic hand. It taught you that all moments matter and we should take life by the horns and hold on till it bucks us off. He smiled, laughing despite his low energy, still making my heart skip a beat. They're gonna fuck so soon. <laughs> I'm glad you're up, Nell. Ready to beat this thing and go home? I tried to smile, to feign confidence, but the moment he mentioned the job at hand, I felt my face fall. Hey, Nelly, you know, whatever's in there, it, it's beatable. If it is your mother, we can still deal with this properly. Nobody has to get hurt if we don't want them to, but... He kneeled down and looked me in the eyes, a melancholy twinkling in the corners I'd seldom seen. I'm not sure that's your mother. I think someone has been playing a long, long game at our expense. I thought about what he said, the tests, the visions, the information the inmates had. It started to fit together like a jigsaw puzzle that filled me with a disgust and anger, not dissimilar to that for envy, gluttony, or wrath. Why? Why would they do this? More importantly, who? As I asked, Buck stood up and stared straight at the camera, anger strewn across his face as his brows furrowed. Oh, I'd imagine the same person who put that dossier in my book. But it's just a hunch, a test, if you will. But we're losing time, and our last inmate awaits. I'm sure we'll know who this is when the job is done. I reckon you're right. May as well finish the job together. Not much else to do until then, but I'm sure we'll still have an ass to kick when it's all said and done, right, Edgar? Beating time. Beating time. He flapped his wings and circled around the room before hopping over Nestor's shoulder. We made for the elevator and the attending guard took us down to the gen pop area. They've put all the inmates into their cells, giving you the space with inmate number 001. Warden says that you may need the extra room, and inmates would be a distraction. The guard pointed out the window as we carried on descending the huge hole in the back wall, sending out foreboding sensations even from this distance. Fine. Makes the job easier. We'll be sure to thank him. I quipped, checking over my equipment as the elevator came to a stop and we made our way across the expansive threshold to the wall. As I looked at the several stories of cells around us, I could feel the collective murderous intent of thousands of inmates bearing down on us. It felt so much as if we were the caged animals that they were observing for our enjoyment. The closer we got, the more the smell hit my nostrils and the more my emotions bubbled to the surface. It was the smell of our cooking almost exactly as I'd remembered it from so many years ago. Nell, no matter what you see in there, I need you to keep professional, okay? Buck's voice cut through the lapse in focus, and he took my hand in his. I know what you're going to feel in there, what you might see, but at all times, keep your wits about you. That could be the difference between life and death. No matter what, we'll always be here for you. I smiled and nodded. He was always a good tutor, and imbued me with that additional sliver of confidence I didn't know I had. When we approached the threshold, I saw the warm glow from the large cell and a voice call out, Just you, my love. The boys will need to wait outside. My ears must have been malfunctioning. It sounded just like her. Mom, is that you? A redundant question, I know, but in that moment, to, but to be in that moment is surreal. Well, I don't recall changing my name recently, so yes, it's Mum. Are you coming in? I looked back to Buck, Nestor, and Edgar, all of which looked a mixture of confused and concerned as they shrugged and nodded to the opening. Taking a deep breath inside, nope, taking a deep breath, I stepped over the threshold 
and into her home. Once inside, the cell was a total remake of our old home. Small handmade decorations lined the walls. Photos of my family and I adorned the main shelves, and over a makeshift kitchen stood my mother. Nothing like her mugshot. She'd not aged a day since I last saw her. Literally, she was tall, voluptuous, and beautiful. Her large afro now tucked into a braided beehive. Still sporting blue overalls and a cheesy apron, she hummed softly while cooking. It was almost too much to bear. Sit down, love. I'll be with you in a minute. I'm sure you have lots of questions. Her calming voice soothed me in such a way that I did as she instructed without question. Planting myself on a comfortable leather sofa, awkwardly ensuring my weapons weren't hidden or obstructed. I watched as the woman I'd not seen in over a decade turned and that warm, beautiful smile met my own, setting down some tea in front of us. Food will be a while, so I thought tea would be sufficient. Oh, oh my. She looked over at me and truly saw me, eyes filling with tears as she reached for a handkerchief. Eleanor, my Nell, all grown up, you're beautiful. I smiled and tried my best to hide the tears, albeit in vain as they fell down my face. Mom, I've missed you so much, but I have to know. I felt my stomach tie in knots as I started, but her warm smile and nodding helped center me. I know you do, love. You need to know how I got here, how this is going to go, and what will happen next. I suppose we should start with the first question, yeah? I nodded, took a sip of the tea, Earl Grey with a hint of honey, her own little blend, that took me right back to home. I tried for so many years to replicate it, totally unsuccessful. Really, it's just Earl Grey and honey. <laughs> Couldn't fucking get it? Couldn't nail it? Oh. Too much honey. Too much honey. Too, Too much Earl, honey. Earl Grey. Too Fuck. much Earl Grey. Not enough cheese. Too much macaroni. <laughs> I hate macaroni and cheese. <laughs> um, is this her? This is you. Okay. That night... I got radioed that there was someone in the middle of the new forest. They'd been starting a fire, and obviously it was my job to investigate. Initially, I thought it was just a usual disturbance, you know, kids being kids and all that. But I saw the color from the tree line, and I knew it was something else. Someone was calling me to them. I thought back to what DeSantos had mentioned. That mom was Mother Accumulator, head priestess of the church, the Dusk Walkers. Mom, I was told you were involved in a church, one that I wasn't aware of. Is this true? Again, the anxiety mounted. I didn't want to know these things if my own mother were true, but the necessity of asking is why I'm here. Her face fell. She looked ashamed. When I joined them, it wasn't what it grew to be. The all-father who ran it was astoundingly brilliant man rife with ideas of how the world could be. He wanted to bring about great change and saw opportunities in his beliefs. When I helped him, I was merely a sort of spiritual advisor. As we Lockwoods can see things others can't, that was my main point for being there, but it, it grew into something worse. And when I tried to leave, he told me he'd take you pride of his convent. That's who was waiting for me in the forest clearing that night. The smell of her cooking grew stronger, mixing with other scents I didn't immediately recognize. There were some discussions outside, but I wasn't focused on them. What happened in the forest? I remember seeing something in my dreams, but I, I know when I woke up, it was in the cabin. I struggled to find the words. 
as if it was confusing me to put the events together. She shook her head. No. After I got to the clearing and saw the Allfather there standing in the middle of a fire pit, a strange black void to his left, I knew something was wrong. He told me that it was time to introduce you to the church properly. I told him you weren't ready, that I wanted to give you the option of choice, but well, sweetheart, when you tell a man as proud as that, that he cannot have something, it doesn't end well. You must have seen the lights or heard the commotion because right as he began walking for the house and I struggled with him, out you came looking confused and terrified. Mom looked forlorn and genuinely afraid as she spoke. Nell, looking upon the All-Father without prior preparations is often too much for anyone, let alone an adolescent. And you screamed, and as he made a grab for you trying to extract what he wanted, I guessed my motherly instincts kicked in and I snatched you away, holding you as your consciousness flitted. But that's where my pride comes in and he her eyes filled with tears and she covered her shame with her hands as she sobbed it was a bizarre moment seeing your still young mother sobbing in front of you it's not something you're often used to dealing with mom i'm sure you did everything you could to protect me no matter what you did i'll still love you i soothed her not having the confidence to reach out but still wanting to assure her but that's just it nelly i made a grave mistake I let him take you. She looked up at me, eyes red and full of pain. He spoke in my ear of things to come. If you were brought into the church to his influence. And I let him infect you with his pride as he had done me. You writhed, screamed, and after some time, fell silent. When you woke up, I was trying to tend to you and I saw the rage in your eyes. The betrayal. You pushed me back and and I fell through. There was a silence that hung heavy in the air. It felt like my mind was splitting under the weight of what I was being told. Hot flashes of that night rushing through my mind. No man, save for a pair of malicious eyes and a wide grin bearing down on me. Not dissimilar to the one from my nightmares. I fell into the void and felt every atom of myself disintegrate. I died over and over in that black Stygian void. And then I awoke and was brought here by the warden. He made me comfortable and told me I was sentenced to death by my own daughter, the last sin eater. She finished and smiled weakly at me, grief and acceptance bearing down on me. I'm at peace with what comes next. Which leads me on to your next question. Stygian Void? How did you... I began, but she shook her head and drank more of her tea. What happens next is you take that knife in your holster, and you do what needs to be done. You end things here and now. You let your mother go to her eternal rest, knowing she confessed her sin. She stared at me utmost sincerity in her eyes you do the job grandma and grandpa trained you for and you do what needs to be done after even when asking for death she carried grace and beauty with her sipping her tea getting up to wash the cup up 
She looked at me as she wrung her hands, my mouth still hanging open. No matter what happens, you will always be my daughter. You will always be Nell Lockwood. You carry that name with pride. She walked over to a little speaker dock that housed the iPod she would one day give me, clicking play. You never forget that all the errors and mistakes we make, we Lockwoods are good at our core. She breathed in, not looking at me, as she carried on washing up. I'm ready to go home, Nellie. The hi-hats began ringing out in the soft, dulcet tones of Sam Carter filled my ears. She certainly had a knack for choosing appropriate music, even if it was breaking my heart in the process. I stood up, drawing my knife and taking shaky steps towards my mother. I just needed to aim for between the ribs, strike with all my power, and pierce her heart in one motion. It would be like nothing within moments. I pulled the hilt around and gripped it, feeling every nerve of my hand tense up as it had done so many times before, the smell of her cooking overwhelming me. Visions of her buying me my first animal book for Christmas, me dressing up as her for school as my hero. Stop it. Stop it. Please. It would be like nothing within moments. I stepped closer, grabbing her shoulder with my left, spinning around and driving in the knife in with my right. Her body let out a gasp of air and her eyes were wide, but a smile was written across her face. She relaxed and fell forward, arms draped around my body. I will always be with you. Always in those places when you're at your lowest. I love you now. I laid her body down, closing her eyes and sobbing over her body. I wish I could tell you that this is the end of my tale that we excised the last sinner from this prison, packed up, and left, that I mourned my mother's loss and gave her a beautiful send-off. But that is rarely the way these things go. Baraska too. <laughs> the light shut off. Guns. <laughs> we were big As the warden's voice boomed over the intercom. I see you vanquished the last sin. Your own mother. Bravo, Frau Lockwood. You exceeded all my expectations, and I must say... His voice dropped, the accent lifted, and a powerful accent not dissimilar to my own British cadence rang out. I am so proud of you. I think it might be time to put an end to this, don't you? He's gonna come out in a fucking mech suit. <laughs> <laughs> I felt my head burn, looking down at the body of my mother and realizing that not only was there no blood on my person, but there was none on her either. She glowed with a bright white aura and the smell of her own cooking gave way. She faded in front of me, the room I was standing in now barren and filthy. Outside, I heard Buck and Nestor scuffling and upon stepping outside, saw Buck standing over Nestor with his hand firmly clenched around something broken in his pocket. The totems we've been given, destroyed. I think it's the warden, right? But you are a Brit now, if you want to do that. I am a Brit now? Yeah, so his his facade dropped, and he's actually this completely other person. He's not German. He's a British guy pretending to be a German. Interesting. Yeah. British, British. I went ahead and ensured that there were no extra issues in my release from this place. Pride lives not only in you, Miss Lockwood, but in Mr. McGraw as well. I took some extra liberties when he was being operated upon. An alarm rang out and the horrifying sounds of every cell door opening filled the once silent prison halls. 
The main doors giving way as figures began to pile in. Familiar figures. You thought that you were absolving these evildoers, sending them to their gods, and resigning them to whatever fates befell them, but no. You were the key to freeing them of their mortal coils, and allowed them to go back to the forms they once housed. My situation is a little more complex. You may have gotten rid of pride, but I am something more than pride. But you know that all too well, don't you? The visages of an incubus, Mammon, Moloch, Cirque, Belagfagor, Addy, and the sludge Tulpa burst through the doors as inmates stand over the railings looking at us. Like father, like daughter... His guttural laughter fills the room as dread builds in my soul. <laughs> he clears his throat and taps <laughs> the mic. <laughs> 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 he is looking towards the shrouded warden's office, now craning their necks up as he spoke again. Attention all inmates, first prisoners to kill Nestor Holden, Edgar Crow, Sir Simon Buck, Nasty McGraw, and capture Nell Lockwood alive, shall have their sentences commuted. Until then, this facility is in lockdown. I stood at the foot of utter oblivion, not knowing where to start, as violence and murderous intent rushed towards me, Buck still in a trance-like state and Nestor on the ground. This truly felt like the end, the mocking intonations of the Allfather raining down on me as he signed off, piercing eyes and that all-too-familiar grin from my nightmares bore into my skull. Good luck, Nell. I'm already proud of you. Interesting, interesting how they definitely played into the stereotype of uh, what a trap. What a, what a trap. As she was getting into her mom's room, I said to myself in my head, what a fucking trap. What a trap. I was, I was partially right. She's not a fucking demon. No, you are wrong a hundred no, percent. No, but ten percent. I was ten percent right. No, that's yes. just that's just wrong. If you round up, but wrong. you're so how far are you rounding? Round but more. You're so wrong. <laughs> Damn it. You're a butt eater. <laughs> Alright. Um I I I liked that part. Um, it played out cinematically. Um, I don't know. If I were being honest, I'm disappointed I can't continue doing that German accent anymore. That's what I'm hurting the most from. Because I enjoyed doing it so much. You could have keep doing the German. I never quite went Christoph Waltz with it, though. <laughs> you know, oh like, I, I definitely wanted to go there. It was a good German, no. Um, I, I, I feel like what I was doing was Hugo weaving from, like, Captain America. Like, like very pronounced Captain. <laughs> like, I, I just felt like that way, and that, that was what I was emulating, at least I feel like. Now that he's just a Brit, British... Um, Good luck now. He's kind of just a bad guy from James Bond. I'm <laughs> already know? proud of you. <laughs> it's me, your papa. It's he, it's me, Oliver Twist. I <laughs> brought you to this more. prison. 
Oh, may I have some more sins, please. Sins. Can I have more sins, please? More sins, please. What? <laughs> what did you say? That's <laughs> uh, more. I love that show. I was in that show. Anyway, um, we're, we're going to move on to part eight. Uh, I'm both high and drunk. This is quite a quite a new a new turn. Uh, let's new see how territory. well I let's see how well I read. Jesus. Um, uh, do you want to quote Dr. Martin Luther King? <sighs> Only the oldest sin remains, and I'll carry it with me forever. It's uh, boners. Anyway, continue. I do the Dr. King quote. You're doing the Dr. King quote. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. That is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really good like. It's a good like, black impression for you. Not doing a black Dr. impression. Doctor King said hey, that. Everyone's got it. Hey, everyone, write your congressman. I was not doing a black impression. Doctor King said oh, that God. when facing a scenario that offered the hardest path ahead, a path that involved tackling the harshest kinds of racial injustices in order to root out the systematic issues that the nation had, still has. I believe we can root them out together through difficult conversations and actionable change. This is no longer a creepy pasta. This is my essay on how you need to be a better person. My name is Madam Nell Lockwood. I'm the last sin eater. This is the end of my story. You can uh, visit, by the way, the full story of the sin eater at www.https.com. Um, uh, nights in Birmingham jail I stood in the space for what felt like minutes Jesus the tulpas, Christ the tulpas of older sins now rushing at me Nestor pinned to the ground with a still confused buck's foot Edgar nowhere to be seen as the droves of inmates rushing from all sides malice in their minds and hands ready to tear us apart and to say I felt the enormity of the situation impress upon me would be a gross understatement I pulled my knife out my knife. mind still swelling da -da 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 with questions on how my mother was here only to fade on the relation I had with the warden aka the all father <clears throat> what was wrong with Buck but I had to push forward with the task at hand eviscerating as many of them as possible. It was only when a knife pierced my chest that I felt the world fall silent. My mouth grew hot, and I felt my breathing grow shallow, gasping for air that wasn't coming. I looked up at Buck and saw the agony in his face, as if limbs acted without his instruction. Buck. Was all I managed to iterate before the world grew cold and distant. The last thing I recalled for longest time was darkness, a cold, unforgiving void that enraptured the soul, froze the bones, and made my flesh feel as if it were in a charnel house. Piece by piece being stripped away and my consciousness scattered in so many directions, it felt as if I were being pulled in multiple directions at once, sensory overload interspersed with a sense of total calm. I was where I should be. Eleanor Gwynedd Lockwood, I've heard so much about you. 
From the absolute darkness came a small, delicate flame, situated in a lantern that hung on a long, thick chain attached to a great metallic pole that jutted out from the darkness with no bearer visible. The black and white flame danced in its glass prison, and the closer it came to me, the more put together I felt. My sight began to clear, my hearing returned, and the muffled voice grew in clarity. A pronounced Englishwoman's voice cut the air and brought familiarity. I could smell ginseng and sage on her person and felt at ease. A body broke through following the lantern, cloaked in a gown of darkness, and her skeletal frame reaching out to me, pulling my body upright and straight, her face hidden behind a mourning veil, the fragments of bone not hard to see. You will find it difficult to speak, so until you have regained that ability, I ask you to listen. You are facing a moment that many encounters at some point in their lives. For some, it's minute and inconsequential. For others, it is a moment the world is watching them commit to. All are noted and all have reactions. You have reached your first of many, Nell. She offers a blown bone hand clasped in bracelets and jewelry to me. I take it and don't even register the issues she should be having with strength. She pulls me forward and I find myself standing on invisible ground, the surrounding light only serving to display the absolute nothingness around us until she waves her hand. What? Am I not? I croak, my voice still finding its footing. Her hand passes by my face, and I see the enormity of creation beneath my feet, the exact same as my nightmares, luminous stars and beautiful patterns, nebulas passing underneath while galaxies rotate overhead. Dead? No. You're merely asleep. A moment or perhaps a space in between is a better phrase. You will make a choice, you will wake up, and everything will change. Every action a consequence. <sighs> I just wish it hadn't gone this way. I tr Truly, I do. This is why I don't get involved in personal matters or individual rights anymore. It's too messy. She clicks her fingers and the area beneath our feet rushes forward down to our world and eventually to Sturgeon, to all my friends and citizens going about their day, each one blissfully unaware that the very same sins I'd excised in the prison were now latching themselves to their bodies, the sun steadily growing darker as a great calamity wraps it around, bathing the city in twilight. Should you falter here, Nell, this is what will befall Sturgeon, what will befall Every soul in due time with enough malice, rhetoric, and patience. The All-Father, Amos, he will not stop. None of them will. The Unbounded shall take every soul they can until there is no more to take. Then... She cast her head up to the vestiges of the seven monstrosities obscured in the depths of the skies, eyes and mouths awash with glee as ascended humans willingly threw themselves into their gaping jaws, growing their strength. Eventually, they would form together and send a single arc of black light down to Sturgeon, obliterating it in seconds. 
My horror at the scene was only beaten by the grief I felt at so many lives snuffed out in an instant. A responsibility on my shoulders that I did not understand. Nothing. They will move to their next destination and start all over again, as they have done for countless aeons. This is what awaits them all if you are not able to make a choice, the right choice, the only choice. What is the offer? I asked after a long pause. She kept her stare on the destruction below as she looked at her hands, the light of the lantern glowing brilliantly. A life for a life. A sacrifice to put the path in the direction it needs to go in. The scene shifted to the prison, to the carnage approaching us in slow motion, to Buck standing over a confused Nestor with his eyes glazed. He was infected with a pride trigger. It shifts the perspective and pushes any good soul to terrible deeds. Yours seems normal, to be in control, but Buck is too weak after his surgery. He will kill Nestor if I do not intervene. If you do not intervene. She turned to me, a wariness in her voice, her black cloak shimmering with the souls of so many countless individuals waiting to be ferried to their next life, and before I could reply, she clicks her fingers again, and a series of flashing images flitters in front of me. People I'd never met, but had an inexplicable and deep bond with, flashed up, and all of them dead. Some with smiles on their faces, others gone in a flash. Some talking of reuniting with family they've lost, missing those they've left behind. All of them giving their lives in pursuit of a better future. A future without Amos. Without the Unbounded. Why am I crying? I don't know these people. I don't... I don't understand. I felt the pain rush through my body, the first true pain I'd felt since I woke here. A pain insurmountably stronger than that of... The physical, as if I were redoing the loss of my mother on repeat, ad infinitum. Lady Death took my hand in hers, never taking her eyes off the slew of bodies laying and waiting for her and her emissaries to collect them. You will eventually now, she said softly, her dulcet tones ringing in my ears and pulling at my heartstrings as if she shared every ounce of my grief. You will. And you'll be so thankful for it. So much better for it. These people will one day shape you. But it all starts here. As the image snaps back to Buck, I feel myself fall into that age-old adage of bargaining. Knowing full well the futility is in such an act. Send me back with your blessing. An imbued weapon. Anything to take them down. And I swear I can protect them. If I can get to the All-Father and... Maybe if I do, the pride infection and Buck will go? A solemn acceptance is the hardest thing I understand. If you feel you can, I will give you a chance, but my offer doesn't change. A life for a life. Be that the All-Father Amos or Buck's. It is not for me to decide or to interfere. She hands me a cloth-wrapped weapon and, and places her hands over mine, the glow of her bracelets nearly blinding me. This is just a dream, but you will recall everything when you awaken. This will be with you, as well as my guide. Look after him, will you? 
He's one of my favorites. Her bony smile, though hidden, is still visible. I don't know how a skull can mold its features, but I feel an overwhelming sense of ease as I wipe away the tears and smile. Everything grows blurry and my body begins to ache once more, my chest throbbing and burning as the scene clears and fades from view. Thank you, my lady. The cold floor is the first sensation that runs through my waking body, my eyes looking down at the knife still buried in my chest, somehow missing vitals as strength and anger fills me. Hands grasp the handle and with a scream I pull it free, the wound inexplicably not remaining once it leaves. What a day, of all the people to meet. I huffed as I got to a knee, an inmate closing in on me with claws bared and evil intentions in his mind. I looked to Nestor still on the ground and holding off Buck. Hey, don't hold back. He still has a skull fracture from an old hunt. Headbutt him with everything you have between the eyes and he'll go out like a light. Don't think, do it, and throw me my iPod. At the same time, Nestor reared his head back to collide skulls with the still confused Buck. The inmate lunged for me with a knife in hand, rolling back and onto my feet. I tripped his leg and grabbed his head with my free hand, using his momentum against him to drive his body skull first into the hard concrete, my steel toe-capped boot coming down hard on his head to silence him for good. Grabbing the iPod from Nestor, I saw it still playing as I put my headphones in. The next song came up with a smile on my face, and I took the moment to call out to the prison, seeing a black shape in the distance. I realized Father up on high called for my capture and my friend's demise, said he'd let you all go if you were successful. But he didn't tell you who I was, what I am. Edgar flew overhead and dropped a clothed package down to my outstretched hand, clasping it tight with the bandages unfurling and a beautiful scythe glistening under the alarm lights. Nestor held out his arm for this tired corvid as he, as his other dragged Buck to the safety of an open cell, a smile on his face. I'm Nell fucking Lockwood, the last sin eater, and every one of you twirling the scythe around towards them, confidence surging through me and meshing with the deep-seated fear, is about to be devoured. Shutting the world out of its screams, insults, and drivel was always something I'd been adept at, but be them remarks, remarks of racism, sexism, or general bigotry, I grew to become immune to them. Music and focus were hand in hand for me. I wish I could tell you that I acted in grace, that I was quick-witted and full of candor, but no. I devoured the sins of this prison and I was embodying every single one of them as I struck inmate after inmate in my pursuit of keeping those I loved safe, as if Lady Death was watching and keeping score beside me. My lust for victory, my greed for competition, my envy of all these worthless fools who had already lost their chance at redemption and not a care in the world beyond basic instincts, my sloth in the inability deep down to change anything meaningful and allowing this sickness to grow, my gluttony in just wanting more time with Buck and my mother, my pride in my abilities and the sickness of knowing where my genetics sprung from. So many bodies rushed towards me, not the least bit deterred by my bravado or my threats. That's fine. I will reap every single one if it means I can save Buck. I don't care if it's fifty, a hundred, or ten thousand souls I will have to take. Not a single one of them is worth Buck. You can't save him. 
No, shut up, I can. I just need to take them all out. A flip over the tall one, turn and thrust to take his head off, and a torso of his friend, step aside from the incoming haymaker and rolling boot to the face. I could do this. I could. There's too many. You will grow tired. Fuck you. Stop it. Just stop it. I'm not willing to give in. A dozen more gone. The blade imbues me with the strength of ten nels. And yet it still won't be enough. The internal battle raged on as I chipped away at the sea of violent fenders, the crowd at one point overwhelming me and piling on top as their pressure threatened to take everything I had. Shit, Lady Death helped you out, huh? Well, guess that means I can take off the restraints, Nestor called out from above the pile of bodies. Memento Mori. In an instant, the bodies were thrown into the air and scattered in multiple directions, some hanging over the railings forty feet above us, others crumpled into a heap. As one larger man broke ranks and ran at me with a shiv, Nestor darted in front and with one up, Rorius kicked the man's neck, sent him hurtling into the concrete wall, smashing into it with such force that small cracks formed around him. Nestor looked bigger tougher than he usually did, arms beefier and standing a little taller, Edgar by his side and clearly larger. On Nestor's black-gloved hands were obsidian knuckle, knuckle dusters, his legs covered in thick pads. A phrase I was told only to use if things got dire, and a sign was given. I guess this is it. You take care of father dearest. I've got the riffraff. He threw another haymaker, and the crowd was knocked back like a tidal wave. Go! I'll join you when I can. A nod of gratitude given, I dashed past the still-conscious prisoners and past the cell, looking in for a moment to see if Buck is still unconscious. The look fills me with more dread than anything thrown at me in prison. The cell is empty. No time to stop, I just had to hope he'd come to his senses and gone ahead. I see the Tulpa Sins marching toward me, each of them nothing more than a facsimile of their sinners. Threatening, yes, but not worth my attention when Nestor and Edgar were so capable. As I ran closer, scythe at the ready, I saw Edgar swoop in and cover the way with his black wings. Protect, Mama. Protect, Papa. Kill, corpse hoarder. I will, honey, I will. I darted around as he screeched and caused a distraction, darting between outstretched hands and hungry mouths to reach the side of the building and scaling the stairs. In just a few moments, I'd be able to put this to an end. Kicking open the door to the warden's office, I was expecting immediate raised voices, a clash of blades, and a quick resolution. Naive. I know. Instead, I found myself rooted to the floor as the door slammed shut and the lights were shut out, matching the obscurity I'd seen on the outside just a short time ago. Ah, Nell, this isn't how I wanted us to finally reunite, you know. I was hoping you'd come to me with open arms and we'd be doing what needs to be done in order to bring this place to its foregone conclusion. A shadow scuttled around me, the pale visage of the warden just barely visible as my eyes adjusted. I want this over, Warden, All-Father, whatever you call yourself. Nobody else has to get hurt. He cackled, my body still not responding to my desire to move. I felt him walk closer, hands clasped around his face. His eyes were bulging out of their sockets, flesh peeling away, shedding all over, and the black skin bubbling underneath, his hair steadily falling out with every step. You can't stop 
what's in motion, my sweet Nelly. Your mother couldn't stop it, neither can you. Who'd have thought that my own kin would work so hard to go against me? I thought after absorbing these sins, you'd come to me willingly. But it seems your pride needs some extra work. He leans in and I see something amorphous behind him. It's long, spindly limbs jutting out of the back of him, pinning to the far walls and something grotesque on its shrouded face undulating as he smiled. Go fuck yourself. I have no father. I spat venom in my words as the scythe dropped from my hand and kicked out of sight. Oh, that's where you're wrong, my love. All have a father. You're just fortunate enough to share my lineage. But you may as well stop now. I have the prime reason for giving in with me right here. He claps his hand and Buck walks into the field of view, mechanical and almost zombified in his stature. His forehead still gushing blood and his eyes bloodshot, all father put his hands on his shoulders and patted them proudly. Your boy has my pride trigger in his soul. We both know to remove a sin requires you to devour it. That, of course, requires time, time you do not have. So here comes your final test, Nelly. The final choice you'll have to make. See if you're ready to do what must be done to help bring Sturgeon and this world to its rightful makers. He pushes Buck to his knees and places a hand on his head, Buck's eyes rolling in the back of his head for a moment. Stop it, please. I begged, watching Buck's nose bleed profusely and the All-Father's smile grow wider, more monstrous. You may not have eaten your mother's sin, but you took off the emotional shackles she placed before falling into the void. One half of my restraints here. The other was put into those godforsaken totems, and... He lifted his hand and placed the other on my face, a searing blinding pain rippling through every cell in my body in the two of you the pride of the McGraws and the pride of the sin eaters <sighs> pitiful he let go and my body finally fell to the floor head resting on the soft carpet in a daze as he knelt down to look at us both he's going to wake up any moment now and become the next representation of pride a great beast that will tear through everything until he finds a worthy host. You, well, you're still my daughter. You'll live. So your choice will be made. Follow me, stop me as your mother once tried, or stop the man you love. I certainly wouldn't want to be in your shoes, that's for sure. He walks towards the door and looks back just once more, the horrific visage from my nightmares trailing behind him, almost melding with him as more of his skin breaks away and something otherworldly pokes out from underneath. He's changing rapidly. Do you know why I chose the last name Lichenberg, Nelly? It means Mountain of Corpses. So many have tried to stop me in this life and other. They always fail. Don't make the same mistake. I look forward to the next family reunion. I looked over at Buck, his eyes twitching, the dim light in the room showing me Nestor and Edgar battling hard to buy us time, but they'd tire before long. 
The inmates were unrelenting and the tulpas were closing in. The... Bins. I muttered, his body tensing up and pausing as he debated leaving me there. What was that? You need to speak up. This form has limited hearing. I'll join you if you help me up. I croaked, my shame overwhelming me. He shook in place, almost giddy. You're not lying. I can tell. Well, far be it from me to deny my brightest daughter. Nothing like your siblings, that's for sure. Come, come. Let me help you. He picked me up and embraced me, a deep, loving hug as I could smell the decay on him, rot and sulfur with a meal of mushrooms and fruit manifesting near him in a golden bowl. I'm so proud of you, Nell. I'd hoped you'd see sense and you'd be overjoyed for there to be an ascension. There won't be one, father. Pulling my serrated blade from my holster, I dug it into his back once the wind exhaling from him, and as I held him close, his arms flailed, and he scratched at me to get away as I soothed him. A few seconds passed before I pulled it out and slashed his throat. He gurgled for a second before black blood left his neck and he clutched wildly at anything in the room for support. I walked past him to the bowl and began devouring the decadent fruit, ganache, cake, and mushrooms. I ate them with speed as his eyes widened and he pointed to me with a shaky finger. Pride comes before the fall. He cackled, his body slumping to the floor, face down and motionless. He was dead. I rushed to Buck to pull him up away from the body into the entrance, begging him to open his eyes. Hey, Buck, honey, you gotta open your eyes, please. I had his head in my lap as we sat against the door, hoping he'd just open his eyes once more. I beat the odds. We can go home. You just need to... I stopped mid-sentence, a cracking sound coming from the spot where all father laid. His back hunches over and his skin continues to blacken and flake. He was changing like a chrysalis. You... you can't always win, Nelly. I looked down and saw Buck open eyes eyes open and full of fear, my hand stroking his hair softly as fear rather than relief mounted in me. Something, something's wrong with me. Whatever the hell the warden did to me, it's screaming in my brain and I can't. His fists were clenched and he bit his lip until it bled. He was resisting with everything he had. Oh, Buck, not like this, please. The body continued to writhe, slowly losing its hue and cracking. We had minutes at most. Flesh. Prison. The distorted voice called, something unholy, breaking away from the skin. I felt anxiety mount, bucks starting to thrash at the mere calling of its voice like a moth to an evil flame. Then, as if right on cue, my iPod started playing the last song on the playlist, and I felt my world shatter. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down Never gonna roll around And you The delicate piano tones echoing from my headphones In the quiet chambers Buck stopped thrashing and his pupils dilated Coming to his senses again I need you to do something for me now If this thing inside me gets out We're back to square one But with my compendium and all the knowledge I have in this head 
he's gonna be even more dangerous. We can't let him out of here. He put his hand on mine and looked at me. Truly looked at me. You need to put an end to it. Now. This was what Lady Death had warned me of. The price that would need to be paid. The sacrifice of one to stop the slaughter of many. Tears filled my eyes and everything I had kept locked up started to fall out of me like a broken piece of fine china shattering on the ground. Millions of little pieces spilling everywhere never forming right again. Buck, I'm so lucky to have known you. You were my mentor, my friend, my everything. I stroked his face, trying to memorize the ruggedness of his chin, the small scar in his right eye, the softness of his hair. I will carry you with me always. He simply smiled and took an earphone from me, putting it in his and closing his eyes. Not a bad way to go, all things considered. We had- is this Imagine Dragons? Jesus it, Christ, it is, this yeah, fucking it sucks. It's, I, I like- I like this. Jesus, no. Anyway, we had an adventure, shared some stories, and mo I fucking hate this band. Most of all, I got to lay in your arms. He breathed in once and lay still. I love you, Neil Lockwood. I clasped my hands around his throat and pressed my thumbs into his windpipe with everything I had. He didn't resist until his survival reflexes kicked in and he pushed his body up and twisted. Anything to buck me off, hands clasping at me aimlessly, but he was still weak. And he taught me well. Tears stained my face and fell onto his as I screamed. I screamed louder than anything I had ever mustered in my life. Every ounce of my sorrow was flowing through my hands and snuffing the light that was Simon McGraw out. I love you. He gasped, his eyes rolling into the back of his head as his body fell limp, starved of oxygen. I didn't relent as my eyes turned to the now emerging shape from the office, pain-racked moans and hoarse screams, all I had left. I would not let this thing take him, not in a million fucking years. I am free of this flesh prison. I will be the doorway I was meant to be. So saith Amos. It screeched, bursting the roof and perching itself on top the horrifying sounds as it expanded and lit up the prison with its terrifying abilities. I only let go when I knew his brain was starved completely of oxygen. Laying him down, I shut his eyes and kissed his forehead softly. I know you did, Buck. I know you did. Ensuring his body was comfortable, I turned to rush down the hallway, leaving my love behind. Turning onto the main floor, I no longer saw a fierce battle, no enemies in sight. Nestor simply pointed up. I saw the horror of a large, unspeakable form with an almost spider-like face, large, powerful limbs, and innum innumerable eyes. It cast its direction upwards as an arc of black light shot up through the prison. The tulpas of the sins stood around it in a prayer circle. Where's Buck? We gotta fucking go. He called over the noise and carnage. I looked to the office, tears running anew and a smile on my face as I gave thanks to Lady Death. Buck's tulpa, scythe in hand, charged towards Amos with destruction in mind. Finishing the job. 
I replied, grabbing Nestor's hand and running for the exit. And lighting a cigar. <laughs> As an explosion ripples out behind her. With ungodly force, he swung the scythe at the tulpas, cleaving them in two before smashing Amos into a concrete pillar, collapsing it and causing a breach that had rapidly filled the prison with water. As we made it into the elevator, pushing the emergency button and the staff still running about as aimlessly as the other inmates, a great roar rang out beneath us. Whatever was happening, it was escalating. Anxiety mounted in the three of us as the elevator climbed. Hey, Stiane! Get your drunken ass over here pronto. We've got a situation, he yelled into his phone. I have been made aware. Lending five. Is the madam listening? His gruff, oddly melancholy voice called back. Nestor confirmed, and he continued speaking. As... <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And the stately ships go on to their haven <laughs> under the hill. But over the touch of a vanished hand, the sound of a voice that is still... <laughs> the elevator reached the entrance, and we made a dash for the exit. A huge blackened tendril smashed at the elevator shaft. A guttural roar followed that chilled me to the bone. A mass with eyes began crawling out of the hole it had made. I am the doorway. And it will... Oh, fuck. ...be opened. It bellowed the horrifying cacophony of inhuman vocal arrangements, chilling my blood before it was dragged back down and into a furious battle below. Uh, not today, it won't. Goodbye, father. We ran for the landing pad, jumping happened? onto the plane as it took off. The scene of Tempestra prison, filling with water and a raging storm around it, fitting the destructive nature the Institute had wrought on us all. Break, break, break. At the foot of the crags, we'll see. Stian, 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 called out as we made distance. As the structure sunk beneath the sea, a thick light shone from underneath, as if a depth charge had gone off. The entire building sinking into a huge whirlpool as lightning and high waves engulfed the area. Stian, finishing his somber poem with some of the most appropriate lines I'd ever heard. But the tender grace of a day that is dead will ne'er come back to me. The first two weeks after losing Buck were incomprehensibly tough. Everywhere I went, I would be reminded of Buck from the accomplishments set out and reminisced upon by his colleagues learning of his passing to the many upstarts and surgeon he's a, he, sturgeon he'd inspired. I stopped going out, stopped doing much of anything that wasn't drinking or crying. And on the 15th night, a knock rang out and refused to cease until I answered it, dragging myself from the sturdy, sturdy, from the study where I'd made a yurt of old memories in a sleeping bag just to be near Buck's things and his scent. I put on my clothes and answered the door, fully ready to cast out whichever inconsiderate ass had disturbed my rest. Looking through the peephole, I saw nothing save for the faint glimmering light of the lantern slinking back into the darkness, and as I opened the door, a small note had been left. Tomorrow at midnight, memento mori, LD. I slept feverishly during the day, making sure I looked and felt the part for a long journey. 
After the first trip on Caracasa Airways, I knew I'd need the energy. For some reason, I always felt the need to dress up for an occasion, something my grandparents instilled in me, I suppose. Even if I was going to something unexpected and entirely unwanted. Nestor met me at the entrance to our establishment, taking note of the for sale sign in our front garden. Going anywhere, Nell? Hmm, not sure. Maybe a little place by the beach, though. I hear there's a dentistry far from Sturgeon where all manner of beasts and nightmares gather to conglomerate and get themselves fixed up. Maybe I can find a genie among them to grant my wish. I sniffed, shaking my head at my own stupidity. Who am I kidding? It's a one-way trip. Nothing more to it. I wouldn't say it's quite that simple. Come on. Lady Death wanted to talk to you, and there's a very excitable idiot son of mine that wants to preen you. I chuckled, and he put his arm around me like a big brother as we got into the taxi and headed for the landing pad where the plane sat. While we were in transit, Nestor told me to shut my eyes while he applied some face paint, said it was necessary for the knight's rights. Lord knows what that meant. Edgar sat in my lap in the car, almost still and expectant for the journey, calling softly and occasionally saying, Mama, time, precious, as if he knew something was coming. I'm not totally sure what I expected when I boarded, but a soft orange light, beautifully painted skulls, and marigolds lining the entrance with fairy lights was not it. Dia de los muertos, of course. I sighed, taking in the majesty of the plane, walking down the aisle near to the front. Nestor, aren't you busy tonight? Need some help with unruly passengers? I shook as the plane began its soft ascent, heading for the nearby ocean and traveling across it. It's me. It's her mom. Oh. Okay. For some reason. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I'm all that unruly. Just a bit cheeky when I've had some wine, love. A loving, booming voice rang out from the furthest front row, that hair in the same bun from before. But as she stood up, I saw her properly for the first time. She was older. The tiredness across her face and the still irradiating beauty I admired as a little girl. Mom, I, I thought you'd... I choked. She walked down the aisle towards me. You thought you'd killed me, or what was left of me in that prison. That you'd never get to see me again. Well, sorry to disappoint. She laughed and held out her arms, letting them drop with an inaudible, with an audible slap. She was real. I'm still here. I'm... I was there too, but not the same. The warden, Amos, as he is truly known, is a remarkable gifted creature, as was, always was, I suppose. With his own pride disease riddling you, he knew you could be weakened. Who better to use than me? Oh, I tried to resist, but so much of me was lost in that, that place that there was so little left. But I remember what we talked about. I remember what we promised. And I still mean it, Eleanor. Mum stepped forward and her hand brushed my face and my heart sinking into my stomach at the realization this was truly her. I missed you so very much. I'm so glad I could see you again one last time. 
Words failed me spectacularly, and when looking at myself in the mirror, I saw the skull makeup adorning my face. I turned and hugged my mother with everything I had, nestling myself in her and evoking those securities long last from my childhood. I owed you a courtesy and a favor, Nell. I keep my word, always. A soft, alluring voice called from the cockpit, stepping out of the shadows, a long, gloved arm holding a flame in her hand, was Lady Death. No longer a skeletal figure, but instead a beautiful young woman, her face hidden behind intricate skull makeup, an alluring figure that hugged tightly to her frame as she walked towards us, Mom parting with me to let her pass. You fought for so long. You were owed, are owed, a kindness. But I must admit to something. She gestured for me to take a seat opposite her, and I obliged. There's a reason Nestor and Edgar were tasked with assisting us, wasn't there? I asked, speaking plainly, was all I had left at this stage. And she nodded, and the flame opened up to show the same deaths of those I didn't know, but somehow loved. You changed the cycle, in ways that I cannot fully foresee. But so much lays ahead of you now as the guide... Your path will be a difficult one, Nell. It is owed to you as the daughter of the Unbounded to know this before you embark on it. She takes in a breath and shakes her head as the images of the flames shift again. So many cycles in so many places, all of which you will come to know directly or indirectly as their guide. A bar between spaces. A hotel of alternate worlds, a mortuary that dissects anomalies and scourges, an estate with prophetic tarot cards, a home to childhood secrets and static, a battleground of nightmares. And then, I see an older me standing in front of a creature of bone and malice, shrouded in locusts, and charging towards me with my arms outstretched. Death. You bring the cycle and go out with it. Great change goes through you, now. I gulped. <laughs> oh, no, you gulped. The narrator gulps. I gulped. Unease setting in, but unsure of how to process it, my head feeling foggy. Is that the end of me there in that pit? I clutch at my skull as it burns. You cannot retain what I show you. This is a kindness I offer that you will hold in your subconscious, only coming to the surface when the time nears. To what end you are dead, I cannot say, but when you are close, you will know. I wanted you to know this path before you set off on it, and to give you an easier start. Memento Mori, Nell Lockwood. Nobody does it alone. As if on cue, I heard the trudging of steps from the lower level and the unmistakable frame of Buck, the glimmer of the moonlight cascading down on the ocean and refracting through the windows, basking him in a glow that made him look downright radiant. He smiled. I smiled. The simplest exchange imaginable. We ran towards each other and kissed, the kind of kiss that comes after once in a lifetime, a first time kiss with someone you've known and loved for years and i do kiss at a wedding where one of the participants has limited time and i'll see you soon kiss when you know it's not possible a kiss that steals as many moments as it takes 
I told you it all work out, didn't I? He said, grinning, eyes glistening in the light. I got my tulpa, grabbed the scythe. Yeah, that's the word. I grabbed my, I got my <laughs> tulpa, grabbed the scythe. Thanks, LD. Smash those weirdos into the next dimension, and poof, here I am. Buck Nasty McGraw, you still live up to your name, even in death, don't you? I pressed my head against his, laughing at first, but then breaking into tears. This is really it, isn't it? You're the sin I will carry, the one I can never devour. Yeah, I am. He said simply, his voice hoarse and full of regret. But I will always be there with you. No matter where you go and what you do on the hunt, I'll be there. The plane started to slow as the orange light grew in brightness, the outside turning to black. We'd reached the end. Until you're ready to come home. His voice cracked with pain, tears in his eyes as we held on to one another for a while. And when he broke away, he grabbed something from his bag. Are you giving me an engagement ring, Buck? I jested, trying anything to keep the mood light in these final moments, my heart shattering with every passing second. He sniffed and shook his head. Nah, I'm giving you something more important and binding. The compendium. I'm the last keeper. The last McGraw. You're the last sin eater. Seems fitting to me, and only right that you should have it. He placed it in my hands and kissed my forehead. It's all on you now. Until we're reunited. Mum walked over to me and did the same, passing me one of her rings as she did so. I'll be waiting for you. We'll have that Sunday roast. I promise. I stood there, unable to do anything as they walked to the exit, Lady Death standing by to place wreaths of magnolia flowers around their wrists and whisper something in their ear, kissing them on the cheek as they passed. The blinding light filled the front of the plane, but neither of them seemed deterred as they smiled. My last image of Buck and my mum walking off the threshold out of pure joy. Four words escaping Buck's lips before the door closed, and I bid goodbye to the most important people in my life. Is this Imagine Dragons? I'm waking I enough, I feel it in my bones enough to make my systems whole. Welcome to the new age, to the new age, to the new age, to the new age. Radioactive. <laughs> I'm not saying it. It's I'm Buck. Not, I'm not it's, saying it. It's Buck. You can say it. You can say it for the listeners. What Buck says in his last four words is that Imagine Dragons. Is, is that Imagine Dragons? <laughs> That's his last four words. <laughs> oh, you didn't shit. think I counted? Of course I counted. You can say it if you want. You can say it. Oh, I'm finally home. And I'm waking up. I feel <laughs> That is like the Michael Bay ending. Yeah. You know, like Transformers yeah. just ended and now they're going into the post credits where it's the credits start and you have your, your pop hit. Right. That came out on right. the on the feature of the soundtrack. The, the death Boeing does a barrel roll through the sunset and then Buck and, and her mom disappears and she's she does a single tear, but then she turn it pulls out another cigar. And does a rail of coke. And then, <laughs> and then it's Imagine Dragons. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm ready to rock. Um, so, so... <laughs> <laughs>
So real quick, like... <laughs> real quick. Um, was the ending that stuck? really That really pulled a Baraska too, didn't it? <laughs> at, the, at the very end. <laughs> what does this story need? It needs a boss fight. It needs a boss fight. Yeah. Um, it didn't. <laughs> and <laughs> I had fun. I had fun reading it, and there were aspects of it that I enjoyed. I very specifically enjoyed the whole Deathly Hollows take a walk with me, Harry, like yeah. Lady Death sequence. Right. I did enjoy that. It was good. Um, but for the most part, um, I the ending wasn't so bad that it tanked the whole series. Right. No. Story, right the off the bat. Still there. Right off the bat, the series was still good. I yeah. st- I don't feel disappointed. On balance, it's just so good. It's just now I realize that the reason I like this is because it's a blockbuster film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no longer a B horror flick. It's it's. It's the newest movie by James Wan, you know. Like, oh, okay, right. It, we're we're. Right. It's 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 the new Scott Derrickson flick. Yeah. Like I don't. It's no longer this like pointed kind of Stephen King level like scary little book. It's now like a commercial, you know. Like it's a product. It's a B movie by via Michael Bay. It's a Michael Bay movie. Michael B movie. It's a Michael Steve, B movie. Steven Summers, the guy who did The Mummy. It's the Michael B movie. <laughs> with the Michael B Jerry movie. Jerry Seinfeld, yeah. Yeah, as Buck Nasty McGraw. What's up with all these hives? <laughs> Why am I dead? <laughs> I, I didn't hate it. So right off the bat, I didn't hate it. No. And a lot of it felt deserved... Um, the whole, like, this is not my final form, like, boss thing, like, I saw coming a mile away. Gotcha. Um, but I gotta, I gotta say, just let Buck die. Just let Buck die. Let him die. Just let, let him, him die. fucking die. Have him come back for the Dio de los Muertos part, but don't have this whole, like, mind's eye Tulpa versus Tulpa battle and definitely don't go dark siders and start swinging, swinging a fucking scythe everywhere. Right. Definitely don't do that. Well, he is dead. He is dead dead at the end. No, 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 no. He is dead, but he comes back as like a Godzilla-sized kaiju tulpa. Right. And fights all of the sins with a large scythe. Right. Including Amos. Right. No. <laughs> just have just have the island implode yeah. due to its own pride. The beam shot down on the island. It didn't shoot down on Sturgeon. Mission accomplished. Right. Let the beam take them out. You know, they were they were they were calling it in the first place. Yeah. The fact that you trapped the 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 god Amos there and had him get bit by his own beam should have been a worthy enough ending. I have to talk about the representation of my people for a second. Um because I appreciate that, uh, you know, the Irishman in the story was a drunk, but he was a pilot. He had a full-time job. I don't understand why he had to fucking sing a poem or, or speak a poem while flying a helicopter. And where the fuck did he come from? That's That was his first... I don't remember 
Stian? Stian? Stian from the rest of the story? Neither do I. And, and maybe it's just because we read it over the course of... It was of, like a Chris Redfield moment. Five or six It was weeks. like a beep, 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 Absolutely beep, beep. it Hello. was. Can you pick me it up, It absolutely please? was. And then he fucking had why to couldn't, a Why couldn't they just get to the roof and Nestor just fly them out of there? You know? Right. Like, or anything. You already introduced the pilot. Where is this... Where's this, like, pirate brother coming from? Yeah. The other pirate. <clears throat> He's got a whole pirate network. <laughs> That's uh, Lady Death. She gave me his phone number. He happened to be in the area. It's five 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 five. I met him at a bar, and he, he was smiled. Really, he was really cute. He was really nice. So, what did you what did you think? Because I don't you you sound a little disappointed. What did I think for most of the story? Or what did I think during most of the end? Both. Uh, for most of the story, I was thinking that it was well written. That I. Even uh, till the end, it was well written. Yeah, we don't criticize. I I am overly critical of a lot of the stories that we read, and unfairly so because I don't write fiction, and these people do a better job than I do. And I think it was much better than what we've read. I think it was smart. It had a sense of pacing. It felt like it was planned from the beginning to go where it wanted to go, and I think it shows a level of maturity. And then, what was I thinking during the ending? Mm-hmm. I'm waking up. I feel it in my bones. That was kind of just yeah. Going it really like yeah. Optimus Prime just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. and says, let's roll. I really kind of they, they get on board and they fly off. I kind of fucking went fuzzy there at the end, and I just kind of. <sighs> it also just kept going for me. Like I feel like went a little too far. I feel like what I read was like ten pages too much. Yeah. Like um, you know you know how I feel about this ending, um. Lady Death should have been more metaphorical, and the sacrifice should have meant her and her friends. They all should have just died there. She should have called the beam down on the island and said, oh, well, we're fucked, you know, and her, Nestor, the the crow, Buck, everyone should have just died. But it's their, it's their sacrifice to save the world. That just feels more earned to me than, like, anything else that happened captain death number one i completely agree with you number two you are insightful number three what more rejection of pride would there be than to kill than the to protagonist kill that's what we said at the beginning the I said, main I said character what, should die i said a, i said what pride what when we were talking about um what I just made like an offhand comment about killing yourself and right. like nothing could be more opposite than pride. Right. Like really that's, that is kind of the answer. If that was her sin and this is what's going to, what it's going to take, like all of the strength and courage you have to take down literally the like all father of all evil. Like you need, you need to like dig hard. You don't, you don't become uh, a 1990s like spawn comic right you know you you don't become a product of todd mcfarlane you you batten down the hatches and say yeah well uh i hit the button on this island so i guess we're all going down together right i just feel like that that would have made more sense you know and then you could have had a poignant moment where this writhing kind of dying thing that's trying to take on its final form as the entire island is falling apart she just sits there and eats like a bowl of fruit you know she just sits yeah. she just sits there and enjoys like 
what is her last meal like the, as a sin eater the, on death row. The pride meal is like waffle crisp. And she just has a, <laughs> she just has a bowl. Honey smacks. A quick bowl of waffle crisp as she's dying and as the island explodes. Yeah. I don't know. It's not that I I feel like I I write better than anyone that we read. It's just so often I feel like people don't know how to end stories. Mm. And for for me, for me, some of the easiest ways are to end stories are to end them as practically as possible. Yeah. You already did all of the setup. You did all of the work. You got them to the stage where you want them to be at the end. What feels right for you? Because an MTV music video does not feel right to me. It doesn't. Right. Learn, for, learn for, to fly by the for an inter- is probably not the right ending. Everlong. <laughs> it's probably not. But like still, like, right. Like I, yeah. I just it's it doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah. And with all of this let's say intimate lead up. Sure. Each of those sin eating sessions were intimate. They were intimate. Even up until the mom. Yeah. Even up until the mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when the it's a trap dime fell. That the story really took a shit. Right. And not even like a gross shit, not something I'm ashamed of, but like it definitely took a turn. And like people have to admit that. It took a shit. People have to admit that. It didn't need to end like Imagine Dragons. It it could have ended in a very short, abrupt, and respectful way. Like, like I'm the last Sin Eater, this is my story, and this is where my story ends. Yeah. Bum. Like, done. Yep. I don't know. Um, I still liked it. I still enjoyed reading it. There are still aspects of it that I will continue to think about and continue to enjoy. Um, I guess we're just kind of at that point on the show where, you know, you win some, you lose some. This still came out as like a successful product to me. Yeah, overall successful. Um, this was a fun series to read. This was I, I enjoyed every step of reading it yeah. with you. Um and in that regard, we will always bring our own uh, Imagine Dragons, our own radioactive. Yeah, I to guess the story. Kind of my message to the to the uh, listeners right now is to go back in time, and when the conversation with Lady Death ends, I would probably stop this episode. <laughs> I would probably call it right there. It'll take a sacrifice. It'll and... take a sacrifice, but, and then that's it. Yeah, that's a better ending. That's funny. I I don't there there could there could be more like you don't you don't need should I have tipped more than fifty percent because I feel like already fifty is like a lot (laughs) should I gone like seventy but I also don't want to be like presumptuous like I feel like oh like can I can I be totally honest yeah I don't I definitely don't feel like when I tipped uh, Thotamus Prime uh, I tipped her like literally fifteen to eighteen percent. That first time I got her number, yeah. I literally tipped yeah. <laughs> like the average. I literally tipped fifty percent. Did you really? Well, because it was a small check. If it's a small check, I tip a ton, just because people aren't paid. People are paid shit. Mm. Everyone's paid shit, and so when I'm getting my hair cut, I tip fifty percent. Oh, well, that's nice. That's that's a lot more than most people do. So, but yeah, twenty dollar haircut, thirty dollar tab, and then I didn't get anything for it. <laughs> Well, that's uh, so. Let's let's start talking about sexism and expectations, right? Uh, misogyny and the right. idea. Do you of have a fade out? Um, <laughs> the idea of because yeah, for sure, right? 
I just feel very prideful that I tipped your sin. I should have gotten something in return. It makes is me that angry. Your sin? It makes me wrathful. When we think of sins, what God, is what is your sin? I just want to fuck. Um, Lust. Oh, I look at other people and I'm like, wow. Also, this fuck. couch is so comfy. Do you have popcorn upstairs? I do. Do you have any pop? Oh, I love so much popcorn. What's the other one? What am I missing? I think that was six. Pride, lust, greed, envy. Wrath. Wrath. Gluttony. Sloth. Gluttony. I think I got them. Sins. Uh, if I were to, if I were to probably uh, take one out of the entire bunch, um, probably envy. That's probably my worst. Is I look at a lot of situations as in um, why why is that doing this and why can't I do this? Just, you know, put put your own answers in that equation. Okay. Um, and there's a lot... Of, I feel a lot of FOMO in my life just, just from the idea of wanting to experience things and being unable to. Right. So I would say envy is probably my, my biggest... Um, people would probably say pride <laughs> I'm a very prideful person I can be very stubborn I can be very incorrigible um, I, I I feel like out of this entire series pride is one that they really didn't like nail no because they try to make it the earth it thing. became a plot point yeah yeah um, and and out of all of the other ones we still like we broke down and said like none of these are really on point right and they they they, they continued to be as the story ended yeah. you know so i really i really like i you dedicate yourself so much to the idea but you like you need to go the extra yard with it and not have any kind of like plot holes or loopholes to to that logic um good story you need to go the extra 7.1 inches and that's too much no mine's not envy <laughs> I don't know what mine is, but mine's not envy. What's the one where you fucking hate everyone? Wrath. Yeah, but you don't want to do anything about it. Sloth. Yeah. Sloth, but I also fucking hate everyone. <laughs> That's. The I scene. feel like sloth is your inability to change things. You know, like. Sure. In in its own perspective, your your inability to do anything about how you feel. Could that be interpreted that way? That could be interpreted that way. I mean, I'm definitely sloth as well. I spend a lot of my free time doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's fair. Editing the show is what I do in my free time. And you know what that concerns? Weed and a couch. Right. And Imagine Dragons. I give my life not for honor. But for you. That was the tale of the last Sin Eater. So welcome to Sin Eater. This is a podcast <laughs> that I'm doing with Captain Death where we take you on a uh, audio walkthrough of the third Metal Gear Solid game, Metal Gear Solid 3 <laughs> Snake Eater for Snake the PlayStation 2. Eater. So from the first screen here in this virtuous mission, you're going to want to head north. Uh, no, wait, come back south. We didn't grab your bag. Put yourself so in put the your, box. Put yourself in front of the tree and press triangle, and you'll start climbing the tree. And then you'll get a Kodak call from Captain 
zero. And he's a bad boy, but you don't know it yet. So actually rewind that. He's a good boy. He's on your team. And he's <laughs> your main man. Put yourself in a box and masturbate a bunch. <laughs> Snake eater. You're going to have to hit that record button at some point. <laughs> Gonna You're gonna have to choose. You, I need to come up with an ending. We need to end at some point. Uh, either we have one or we don't. I'll wait till the day's end when the moon is high.